Hey listeners, do you enjoy movies? So do we. And that's why we record Nerds on Film, our weekly podcast where it's just us sitting around making jokes and talking movies. In fact, if you guys have not subscribed to that already, you really should. I'll wait. Have you done it yet? You haven't? What is wrong with you? You're super lazy, right? Jeez, we made it really easy. You just go to nerdonomy.com and you click the freaking iTunes button. Stop procrastinating, get off your lazy ass, and go do it. Thank you. Hey, well, you know, thanks for thanks for filling in. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's I'm glad to be back here on the history podcast. It's been a while, but how's Eric doing? Wait, you, you know, right? Well, I I was gone for a bit, but I know he's I know he's been kind of MIA. What's what's going on? Eric was shot 3 weeks ago. <gasps> Are you serious? No, I'm totally kidding. Yes, of course I'm serious. Oh he my was, god. Is he, he's alive, right? Well, he's in a coma. Oh, jeez. <gasps> Yeah, yeah, and we haven't, we have no idea who did it. Oh, no leads or anything like that. No, no, we originally thought it was, it was Dave, because uh-huh. you know he was here the night of the shooting, and okay, that makes sense. Then you know we thought it was Sean because Sean was apparently in town for a week. Oh yeah, we totally hung out. Wait, what? What? It... Son of a. And then no, I thought maybe it was Roxy, because of no, there was a, a sound the shoes made as they were running out. But oh, but she doesn't wear heels. Right. Wait, how do you? What? It's... Roxy and our friends. Oh, okay. Um, well, the trail's gone cold. I'm at a total loss. I have no idea who else it could possibly hmm. be. That's crazy. What were you doing on, uh, you know, February 25th? On the 25th? Well, it was like, what, a Tuesday or something like that? I was, yeah. I think I was working late or probably doing laundry. That's my normal mm-hmm. Tuesday night deal. Does anyone there to, you know validate that alibi. well if i was at work then probably one of my coworkers, but or you know one of my roommates could probably hold to okay. that just, so. just, 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 just a little question uh-huh. um do you do you, <laughs> do you own a firearm by chance? i do not own a firearm but your brother does doesn't he he does and you would have access to it i suppose yeah i do okay and did you and eric have any disagreements no, recently no 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 eric and i are cool and besides if i want to kill somebody i'll just suffocate them all oh, right. Well, wait, wait, wait. What? Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty, and uh, if you haven't already figured out by this point, uh, Eric is in a coma, which was our way of saying he's on paternity leave, dealing with the beautiful, or taking care of the beautiful Amelia, and uh, he'll be back in a couple more weeks. Hopefully, assuming he wakes up. Uh, joining me tonight in the Nerd Cave is now, uh, well, no stranger to the Nerds on History podcast. No, in I've fact, been here before. Kind of hoped she would just spend the co-host the whole month, but, uh, oh well. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Miss Sarah Ashley Hello, is here. I'm here. Yeah, and I'm kidding, by the way. I love the fact that we've had every other host, like, oh, yeah. co-host. Everybody's been doing a really good job. Yeah, definitely. So, how are you, by the way? I am great. I've almost entirely recovered from my weekend in Disneyland. <laughs> Ooh, that's right. You did. You I went. Four days. Four days in and around Disneyland, which was probably the most intense I've ever been about it, but it was a blast. I'm definitely, like, I'm no longer tired. However, my wallet is still empty <laughs> from mm. it, but it was worth it. Disneyland tends to do that, right? Yeah, Definitely. Uh, everything there is expensive, so it just kind of sucks your money away. Yeah. Though I will say, though, that the Blue Bayou restaurant is amazing. Mm-hmm. And even if you can't afford the Blue Bayou, the Cafe Orleans, the the, uh, the three cheese Monte Cristo is 
phenomenal. Phenomenal. But I can only eat half of one of those because I think I'm going to die if I eat the full Ooh, thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah we uh, we did do a dinner at the Blue Bayou, and uh, the steak was like melt in your mouth. So good. Mm-hmm. I uh, It gave me chills. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Have you ever been to Club 33? No. Uh-huh. I know you have, you word I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> you can say it. We just have to bleep it. I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. It's actually, to be honest, Blue Bayou is only a slight notch underneath the food at Club 33. Oh, okay. Blue Bayou is pretty damn good food. Yeah, I know. So, it's great. I mean, you, you go to Club 33 for the experience and the waiting sure. the wait staff and the fact that you can drink. Yeah. The only place, the secret place you can drink in Disneyland. Right. Um, Disneyland proper. California Adventure. They're looser on the booze laws. <laughs> yeah, it's too true. Liquor everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Just everywhere. Yeah. It's in the fountains. It's Drink like, the water, I promise pretty much you. The rule is if you can walk, um, you can drink. <laughs> right. World of color? That's not water. That's vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. In fact, there's actually no lights at all. They just they give you so much alcohol <laughs> that they, they anticipate you'll hallucinate. There we go. They just suggest certain sounds there of we Mickey go. and There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very, very interesting experience. That is Disneyland and Moscow. Yes. So anyway <laughs> Right. Uh, anyway, let's uh, get into some listener feedback, shall we? Okie doke. This week in listener feedback. Uh, the first one comes from Michelle. Subject, a paleontologist. And she writes, Dear Nerds on History, I'm in the middle of listening to the most recent episode on D.B. Cooper, and I am finding it fascinating. Prior to this, I had no idea who he was, and only recognized the name uh, from an awesome card game called Evil Baby Orphanage. However, I had a quick clarifying question. You mentioned in an uh, 07, a paleontologist became involved in the investigation. I was wondering if that was a slip of the tongue, or if you meant an anthropologist or an archaeologist. A paleontologist studies prehistoric history and dinosaurs, to which Sean replied uh, to me to read out in line, yes, this dude was actually a paleontologist. He was the head of research of a research team that had several kinds of experts on it. He just happened to be a paleontologist who was passionate about the Cooper case. Uh, here's a link to his personal website. Uh, it was Tom K was his name, by the way, and who she was talking about. And uh, you can just find him at TomK.com, T-O-M-K-A-Y-E.com. So, booyah, research. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. All right. And this next one comes from Andy. And it says, nerds on history saves the day. Surprisingly, being an engineer isn't as exciting as it sounds. What are you talking about? You get to build things. (laughs) Building. Uh, While waiting for files to transfer, brawling with Excel, and clicking relevant buttons like a madwoman, I can at least enjoy the puns and the history. Thanks so much for bringing some light and levity into my windowless office. Oi. Windowless. That's unfortunate. You should just take a sledgehammer to the wall. Yeah. Uh, I actually did, we did kind of correspond a little bit with Andy, and I asked, does she at least have access to a plant? (laughs) Apparently she is a cyclist. She does not drive a car. So carrying a plant from house to office would be kind of awkward (laughs) on a bicycle. That is true. Well, Andy, we appreciate everything you say. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We have another piece of feedback, a return piece of feedback from Kevin. Kevin was the guy who mentioned how disappointed he was with the Jack the Ripper episode. Ah, yes. Ooh, he ripped you guys a new one. Uh, His response, happier feedback. Okay. Hi, nerds. I just wanted to say I really enjoyed both podcasts this week. I really liked the D.B. Cooper episode, and the interview on, on NOF was awesome. Ron was an amazing that guest. That was a nerds great interview. Film. I was sad that I wasn't available for that one, but you yeah. guys did a great job. Thank you. 
it was a lot of fun to do. And he was just, I mean, he was just spitting out gold. It was unbelievable. Super chill. Yeah. Uh, He says, uh, I split my time at work between working alone at night in an office and driving a truck around an airfield monitoring aircraft's maintenance, both of which can be pretty tedious without good audio to listen to. Your podcasts make both much more enjoyable. Well, thank you, Kevin. We appreciate that. Sorry, my last feedback was so negative. The bloody graffiti thing uh, triggered some nerd rage in me. Thanks for addressing it on the air. Publicly answering criticism takes guts, so big props for that. I also wanted to ask uh, where to find your Amazon link. Your recent NOF episodes have inspired me to order a copy of Rise of the Fellowship and Casablanca. Kevin, like we said before, we appreciate getting feedback, whether it's positive or constructive, and uh, we totally understand where you're coming from. We probably would feel the same way. And you know what? I think having a conversation like this is the best way to deal with it. You know, just getting the information out there. Uh, As far as wanting to support us through our affiliate links, thank you so much. That's awesome. You can find the link to uh, Rise of the Fellowship. We have not made an affiliate link for it. All the stuff is posted through Ron's website. So there's a link on the post for that episode. And then for Casablanca, it's actually, if you go to the webpage for the podcast post, it is, uh, the links are at the bottom. So basically, go to nerdonomy.com, click the relevant uh, podcast that you're thinking of, the one that you want to you know, follow through, and the link should be there. Correct. Mm-hmm. We are working on getting more ads on the, on the site, so no, no worries, folks. If you're looking for a simpler way to help us out, it's coming. Yep. Bear well, with us. We're working through Pornhub and everything. <clears throat> <laughs> um, that's not true. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. If there, if, there should, if there was like a nerd hub, I would say. Oh, okay. Totally, but there's. I don't think there is. Uh, and if they do, uh, yeah. Um, That'd be frightening. <laughs> so many pocket protectors everywhere. <laughs> a multi-site network of nerd. <laughs> anyway. That is the first time and probably the only time that porn will ever be mentioned on this podcast. Unless you guys do an episode on the history of pornography. Potentially, we've been kind of been very careful about walking that line. We don't, we're not quite sure if we want to do that. I know Eric wants to do history of sex. Mm-hmm. But that would be uh, interesting. To I do. think pornography falls within that. Definitely, yeah, so, it does because it has to. It's pretty reflective of cultural opinions on sex. Mm-hmm. I think it's really the good discussion of when did erotica become pornography. That to me, that would be would be more interesting. I think it's always. I think there's always been both. Or maybe at one point there was a, a, a switch, but, like, the Victorians had porn. Yeah, that's really when the term porn was developed. Yeah. So, anyway, that being said, this is interesting discussion, but we we're going to save it for another time. There we go. We have a topic tonight. Yes. Yes, we do. We are continuing Mystery March. Yes, and the topic is a mystery. I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I think we're just going to be BSing this whole episode. Yeah. No, um, no, 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 no. None of that. As you guys know, we've been talking about unsolved mysteries this month. We've dove all over the place. You know, we talked about the Shroud of Turin last week. We talked about uh, D.B. Cooper, Jack the Ripper, of course, the Babushka lady in the JFK assassination. Lots of cool stuff. We're going to talk about unsolved mysteries that kind of are already solved. Like, I think the more mystery is, why are these still unsolved (laughs) mysteries? Um, And we're going to start with Atlantis. Right. So Atlantis was a 2001 movie done by the Disney Corporation with Michael J. Fox. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And it's highly underrated, I think. (laughs) It's a mystery why it was so underrated. (laughs) (laughs) Atlantis The Lost Empire was actually a decent movie. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. It was definitely uncharacteristic of Disney because it wasn't really 
it had didn't have much of the Disney characteristics to it. No, I think they were trying something new. It was kind of post Beauty and the Beast, pre Pixar Revolution. Well, it was 2000 when they were marketing it, so I think sure. they were thinking a new millennium, new era for Disney yeah. animation. Let's see how. But it was the first time that they had done a hand drawn 70 millimeter since like the Black Cauldron or something like that. So, so it was it was kind of a a nouveau throwback, which was a little weird. But they took a lot of interesting elements to make this movie. Because, I mean, they sort of used what was originally from Plato's idea of um, Atlantis, but then also relied heavily on the pseudoscience about Atlantis involving crystal magic and all this other stuff that really developed in the 1800s. Yeah. So so. they were kind of, yeah, pulling from some interesting areas to make it. And what ultimately happened was you had a visually great movie with fun characters, but a thin plot. Exactly. And again, uh, one of the few times where Disney did a completely, I shouldn't say completely, but it was an original story. They weren't taking a folk tale and trying to respin it. No. I mean, they, they were taking an allegory from a philosopher mm-hmm. and crafting a story that, as that as the source material, but I don't think it's nearly I, the same thing. I don't even think they were using that as the source material. I think they were really using the legend right. of Atlantis and the and what people are so fixated on. And that's why I think I brought this topic up for Mystery March is because it is a mystery as to why people are so fascinated with this still. Why is there still so much about it that um, is intriguing and is causing people to go out and search yeah. for it like they're searching for the Fountain of Youth? You know? Why is there still some scientific debate yes. about it when... Some schools of science say the debate is over, and mm-hmm. some schools of science are like, no, 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 wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> so wh- why don't we start with, first off, maybe refreshing our audience on the story of Atlantis, right? Because okay. it goes back to Plato. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 300 BC at this point. Yes. And it's, was it Timaeus and, and uh, the- Critia? Critias. Critias, yes. Yeah. And these were two dialogues that Plato had written. He was a student as, of Socrates. Soc- the Socratic dialogues. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a student of Socrates, and he wrote these dialogues as if Socrates was speaking with other philosophers, etc. Right. Um, and he created the idea of Atlantis and gave it a location, gave it a whole structure, gave it a full civilization up to its downfall. And the whole thing was done as an allegory. It was basically kind of a warning because... These were highly evolved people, highly civilized, but also power hungry. And they were going through and trying to take over other lands and cultures and doing so kind of in a warmongering type way. And they were eventually being pushed back by the Athenians because the great Athenians, the representatives of Plato's re- the Republic, you know. Um, and well, so, sort of. He kind of had an issue with democracy. But, sure. But, yes. But he did. He definitely had his idea of what a proper government was supposed to be. And he kind of used Athens to represent that. And so Athens was holding these people back, holding these people back. And then all of a sudden their civilization was taken out by great natural natural disasters, which eventually sunk the whole city. And that's kind of Atlantis in a nutshell. <laughs> right. And so, exactly. I mean, you put it in pretty basic terms. I think that's really all there is to it, right? That that in and of itself is the essence. That is the essence of Atlantis. Uh, of Atlantis. Everything else that's happened from there is a lot of work of science fiction, a lot of work of fantasy, mm-hmm. and also uh, comic books, of course. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about those in a, in a little yes. bit. Yes. It wouldn't be nerds on history if we didn't not. talk and about I some pop culture reference. I would be doing a disservice to myself as a comic book nerd. There you go. <laughs> and to Billy and to Vicky if I didn't mention exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's getting in there. No worries. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, by the way, should we mention that real quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Congratulations to Billy and Vicky. We mentioned it on Nerds on Film, but I'd like to do it here. They are the lovely hosts of Girls with Issues podcast. And they're engaged. They are engaged. And I am so, so happy for them. Billy has been one of my best friends since high school, and I could not be happier for her. So, Guys, if you haven't listened to Girls with Issues, it's a fantastic podcast, and they are two amazing people. Yes. And I couldn't be happier for them. And so. they've got great, great radio voices. So they do indeed. They, they really do. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like I was, I was hooked on just them talking the moment I listened to the podcast. It yep. was really cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but we digress. Di- we digress indeed. It is kind of startling to see how much detail Plato did put into the idea of creating Atlantis to a point of it being potentially real, right? Um, which I think is what holds the mystery to this day. Yeah. But then again, let's also look at the holes in the theory. Mm -hmm. So first of all, Plato speculates that this whole Atlantean battle would have taken place in 9000 BC. Yes. Pretty much around the cradle of civilization Mm -hmm. taking place, uh, or at least the beginning of civilization taking place. And okay, fine. Zero evidence to support (laughs) that. Mm -hmm. The closest thing that we do have in recent memory to that, though, was the Battle of Minos. Right, the thing that destroyed the Minoan civilization. And that happened in 1500 BC. And there was also, it was not happening on the Isle of Santorini, which is now known as the Isle of Santorini. But that actually did get hit with some major natural disasters too, which took out the Minoans also. Yes. And we're not saying that it's not impossible for an island to sink Mm -hmm. because that happens all the time. I mean, tsunamis can do it. Thermal expansion of oceans can can cause it, uh, any island to sink. That being said, Let's think about what what was the ancient Greek understanding of geology at this point? Did they limited. Be- very uh, for geology is very limited. You're right. I mean, there was already some belief at this point that the Earth was round. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think they think they understood some of our, of the physical world, but I believe that they thought that at this point islands were literally floating, right? Not realizing that they were being supported by the fact that they were really they weren't floating at all. It was the ocean around them that happened to they were a high point basically, right? in what would have been a canyon if there was no water mm-hmm. around them. So there, there is that. So the fact that you can sink, quote-unquote, is kind of a misguided perception. Right. Well, and they're, they're not to say that, again, things do sink. I mean, New Orleans is sinking, really. Um, they're working on it, but... <laughs> right. Um, and there's parts of the San Francisco airport that were sinking for a while before they were reinforcing that. Of so, course, yeah, again, and through other natural causes, yeah. thermal expansion. There are things that happen, but to yes. say that a landmass this size sunk, you know, 9,000 years before it was writing, and before he was writing it down, it's a little tough because you do have to understand that there's a lot of other influences going on. There are historical things happening that could influence the creation of a story like this. Sure. You know, think about how many movies today just fundamentally are to take this to a darker note, I'm sorry, but um, are fundamentally their plot points are rooted in terrorist activity. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff is influenced because we live in a post 9-11 world. Plato's living in a time when things like flood stories, natural disaster stories are extremely common. And you have to look at Noah's flood and Gilgamesh's flood. And there's all these things that could have potentially been related to some major natural disaster at some point. There are actual historic findings of certain floods happening around the Black Sea. Sure. But is it uh, to the magnitude of which they're being described? Probably not. No, no. I mean, to the perception of maybe the people who were writing it, sure, sure. it maybe felt like it was mm-hmm. global, yeah. right? But not necessarily 
So there's there is still some potential for influence there, but um, kind of also having to remind yourself that this is allegory. Right. He was writing a piece of fiction in order to discuss philosophy. There were historians post Plato who who were a little bit more contemporary, right? Who did take him very seriously, thinking that he was talking about a legitimate place. Yeah, and uh, and the, that's the the perception pretty much up until the 1500s. I would okay. say. I mean, there there were Jewish and Christian philosophers in the Common Era who made comments on Atlantis, and a lot of it was again supporting going back to plato but then again adding to the legend right right uh there's the hellenistic jewish philosopher philo who wrote in the second century or sorry first century and he was uh allegedly citing aristotle's successor theophrastus now of course aristotle was tied to plato as well so it's like basically you're following the lineage of philosophical Mm -hmm. thought Uh, according to this is they're saying that atlantis was greater than africa and asia as plato says in the timius in one day and night was overwhelmed beneath the sea in consequences of an extraordinary earthquake and the inundation and suddenly disappeared becoming sea and not indeed navigable but full of gulfs and eddies yeah quoting him directly well sort of (laughs) yeah but what so let's also think about what did they perceive as africa and what did they perceive as asia exactly so a lot of um, modern interpretations, they will say that he was talking about the size of Atlantis being as big as Libya and Asia combined. So Asia at this point was a province, not considered yeah. the entire continent we know of today. So what he's really talking about is Libya and Asia Minor, which was really the Turkish Empire at the time. Right, yeah. So not as big as that giant continent, but it's still really hefty size. Right chunk of land yeah for those who don't recall asia was considered a province of the roman empire Mm -hmm. at one point in time and that's essentially what you're saying is right now is that was the size that they were referring to and this is considering this would have been written in the height of the roman empire uh that would support that right that theory so um so there's some kind of debate on on how big is it actually supposed to be there's a lot of people out there who also do kind of think that when Plato was referring to this, there's a lot of people who think he was referring to more ancient civilizations of North and South America. Yeah. So, you know, okay, then yeah, that would be a really big hunk of land, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But then how do you explain the interaction of the cultures at that point? It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. There's, there, it, too much of this is a stretch. Exactly. And we talked about that in our very first episode. It's like, Mm -hmm. is it possible that someone could have gone all the way to the New World from where they were in the ancient world? Potentially, but not highly, highly, highly unlikely. Well, they would have had to cross all the way up through Asia and then was the the Bering Strait would still had to have been exposed. (laughs) Uh, It's still possible, actually. Still possible. But just highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Yeah, Yeah. But they could have sailed. All the way from yeah. there to, to the no, new world. No, it, is, it yeah. is possible. and Or vice versa, but no. no mongoose no. equation, right? The mongoose equation, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. I was going to bring that up. But what I find also interesting is that Christians even wrote about this, too. Mm-hmm. But they were writing about it from a different perspective. They were writing about it, one, if they, were, if they could take it seriously, but the other was to, if this was just, you know, uh, a pagan myth. It was half-half. Oh, okay, this is believable. Okay, no, this is just Greek pagan myth. But what I find interesting, though, is that Cosmos... Uh, Indico Plustes in the 6th century wrote a book called Christian Topography in which he used it to support his argument that the earth was flat and surrounded by water. <laughs> really? Yeah. So for those who maybe don't know, 
Uh, Christopher Columbus was not earth-shattering when he said the earth was round. Most people had accepted Duh. it at that point. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I would say, if Eric were here, he would like to mention that the uh, people who support the idea of Atlanti Atlantis being an actual place that existed are probably the same kind of people who might also believe that the earth is flat and that all the roundest theories are conspiracies. Well, they're also the same people who think that aliens built pyramids. So We're talking in the pseudoscience yes. territory, basically. Yes, we are. Yeah, not to discredit pseudoscience entirely, but there's a certain point where if you deviate far enough away from the mainstream of reason that you just You're going to lose into... some followers. Exactly. <laughs> and you also kind of go into madness at that point. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like... The, there's a fine line between pseudoscience and then just wearing a tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was just like, hey, do you want to see my shrine to Atlantis? <laughs> I've been taking water samples from all over the world. Well, I, I mean, there really is. There's a lot a lot of the people who help propagate the modern Atlantis myth and the more current, and, uh, and by current I mean like last 150 years or so, uh, studies of Atlantis are people who were self-proclaimed psychics, people who did use crystal power as healing and, and foretelling and that sort of thing. So there is there is a certain culture around it, too. There's a lot of mysticism involved in the Atlantis myth, which is, you know, if that's what you're into, that is great. And yeah. there are a lot of people who still hold to a lot of that stuff as truth. Yeah. And so that, since you're bringing that up the modern era, let's kind of catch it up to that. Mm -hmm. So 16th century rolls around. We, we've now made it our way into the new world and realized, holy crap, we're not the only people on this part of the world. And we start to in encounter, you know, the new world civilizations like the Mayans and the Incans. And by that point, then people start to speculate, oh, wait a second, maybe this is this is what Atlantis was like. Right. Because we're realizing, oh, we didn't know everything, that there are people who actually had entirely other civilizations yes. other than our own. Which is actually a great way of thinking. I will actually uh, kind of say that that's a really cool idea to think wow, there is so much more that we didn't know. What else don't we know? What else could possibly be true? But then there, again, there's a fine line. Yeah. But there's there's a difference, I think, though. With that, you're talking about piquing curiosity mm -hmm. and using that as a means to want to explore and learn and grow. Right. right. The other side of it is to, as Sherlock Holmes would say, use facts to support pre-existing theories rather than drawing theories from facts. Right, exactly. So there's the difference between the people who purposely go out looking for Atlantis, looking for the Fountain of Youth, looking for El Dorado, and trying to find everything that they can in order to support that theory, as opposed to just going around and exploring underwater cities and thinking maybe we might stumble upon Atlantis. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Right. Uh, so when we get to that era in the 16th century, we also start to see the inspiration for Atlantis to really write other philosophical works, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly Thomas More's idea of a utopia. Yes. Uh, was a big one. And I love the idea of utopia. I haven't, I, I'll be lying if I said I have actually read Moore's Utopia. Mm -hmm. But the concept and the fact that he actually was a wordsmith and that he played with the whole idea of a utopia and oitopia. Yeah. Uh, and a utopia, I might be mixing these up, guys, so please forgive me. Uh, one meaning basically means the perfect place, and one meaning is the place that does not exist. Right. Utopia means no place. Yeah. And utopia means the basically, essentially, his, his argument was the perfect place cannot exist. Right. Right. And he claims that he was that was inspired by Plato's idea of Atlantis. Right. Of course, 
his version of Utopia, I don't think, was was more mongering or power. Uh, no, no, no. What they basically did was they kind of took the idea of the the sunken city as being a place that was maybe so perfect it couldn't possibly exist because it fell for one reason or another. Whereas Plato, I think, was using it more as a cautionary tale. I think Moore's was kind of more of a... A commentary on human yeah, production. Yeah, I think kind of like why we could never go back to Eden type thing. Right. If that makes sense. No, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And especially when you're talking about... I mean, Moore was a lifelong Catholic. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... He probably has that just ingrained in his head anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys are totally ingrained with that from, like, the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Guilt. Guilt. Shame. You can never go back to Eden because all your fault. <laughs> Yeah, oh, so. and then of course there was also Sir Francis Bacon's The New Atlantis, right? Right, that was done in 1623, and he also talks about again a utopian kind of society. So it was interesting that we were all kind of this is right in the middle of the Renaissance, right? We're all mm-hmm. talking about, or not in the middle of it, really late Renaissance. Uh, we're rethinking about the world. We're rethinking about how the way the world works, and we're redeveloping philosophy. Well, yeah, we're thinking about civilization in a way that we haven't thought about it in a really, really long time. Exactly, because so, we're starting to rediscover the classics. Yeah, so it's when they are rediscovering the classics, when they are rediscovering Plato, that they're feeling inspired by this and building upon the works that were previously existing. And and how could you not pull something from that? Like, this is such a, a thick allegory it's such a thick tale that he that he's woven through two dialogues um and it's like i said he gave it a full geography a full layout there was a full history between like from how atlantis first came about as being you know a place that poseidon a attractive land that poseidon was given by the hellenistic gods and you know he built it up when he fell in love with this gorgeous woman and he created a whole palace for her and you know they had five sets of twin boys oof (laughs) i feel bad for her and and the oldest of that being atlas who was the main king of it all and then all the other you know boys got tracks of it and everything yeah well i mean that's actually important to mention because that's what the name Mm -hmm. atlantis comes from it originally was the greek word for the island of atlas yes so yeah and why it's called the atlantic ocean exactly yeah and it was constructed of um circular moats separated by um circles of land and there were bridges connecting everything together to the central mountain and it was supposed to be like just this really grand place that was covered in bronze and other precious metals and stuff which just sounds like it would be really really hot to have that sun reflecting on you the whole time sure i would probably melt <laughs> well, actually maybe not because if you're reflecting the sunlight outward you're actually keep, i guess you're if actually it's cooling outward. down if it's outward but they were basically saying like it was built up like everything was built up in stone and plaster and then they coated and lined all the walls with these precious metals that does sound a little warm to me. <laughs> okay. But then, um, and then at the very top of the mountain, Atlas built a, uh, a temple for Poseidon, for his dad, with a golden spiral that actually swirled around and that it went up so high that the clouds would actually swirl around in, in the temple. Like, so, which sounds really freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Very grandiose. Again, very, very much it evokes the imagination. Exactly. So that's, that is why this is such a powerful idea, especially in the Renaissance movement, when everybody's like fully inspired by art and everything too. So like yeah. having such elaborate literature built into philosophy. Absolutely. Here's what I find even more interesting is that Atlantis, yes, while it's been used to form our own theories on you know, society and things like that. It's also been used to support propaganda. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah. Because as we get into the 1800s, we start to see, unfortunately, the biggest mistake in anthropology to date, the, the formation of race science to being developed. Unfortunately, it was it was the it's basically the the belief that there is not one equal race that there is several there is that the basically the white race was the the superior race and that I it changed me to even repeat it the darker your skin got the more inferior you got and this has zero scientific foundations to it um, I, unfortunately it was the the very thing that Hitler based his theories off of when he decided to cleanse Europe quote unquote during Bull the Holocaust. Honky. Bull honky, bull honky. Yeah. We know now now know that it's completely untrue because there's genetically no such thing as race. Right. It is a social construct. But you guys had a whole podcast on, too. Yes, we did. But it bears repeating. So I don't, I don't care if I say it over again. Uh, that being said, more importantly, uh, this woman, Madame Bavlatsky, or actually I should say Helena Petrovna Bavlatsky, uh, and her partner Henry Steele Alcott, they were uh, theosophists. So, you know, religious philosophers uh, in the 1870s. And she wrote her book, uh, The Secret Doctrine, in 1888. And in it, she basically said that uh, that the Atlanteans were a super race and they were derived from the Aryan race. Really kind of stupid and offensive in that they were one of the five root races that built humanity. It just makes me wonder, like, where? Where is she getting this information? Like, how does how does something like this stem in somebody's head? It's That's kind of frustrating to me. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it supports that whole notion of white superiority. I mean, unfortunately, this is this is in the late imperial era, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're dealing with a bunch of empires that are basically ruling all of Europe and a lot of the world at this point. So you have this kind of superiority you have this because you're the you are the culture that's in power you're mm-hmm. the culture with all the money and yeah so of course when you when you're on top and you don't have any foundation of empirical reasoning you're going to write complete nonsense yeah like this and unfortunately that same kind of doctrine bled into nazist uh, literature as well so it's it's very sad and uh, jean sylvain bali he was the one who kind of changed the Atlantean myth into a whole other mythical continent called Hyperborea, which is essentially, again, it brings up a race of Northern European giant godlike right. people. Basically, Vikings is what they were, super Vikings. Yeah. So it's just, it's really, really weird. Like It gets all kind of messy when it get into the, the late 19th century. The white culture was propagating a lot of this with a lot of neocolonialism that was going on, um, you know, throughout the, the 17 and 1800s that just kind of helped propagate these sort of things where people are feeling like, you know, the in like the African colonies and stuff like that, where they were um, settling and mining for resources and then shipping people back to to European mainland and and putting them on display in zoos. So there was a lot of really, really god-awful stuff happening leading up to this point that just is gross. It's just gross. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... We need to learn it because it is only a way of saying, okay, we really mistreated people. Yeah. We need to see that we did this so we know not to do it again. Yeah. And you're right. The fact that they had Africans being put in cages because they phenotypically resembled apes which is just a flat-out offensive yeah it is kind of it does make my skin crawl a little bit right right what really frustrates me is that you have this is kind of the danger of pseudoscience put in the wrong hands Mm -hmm. so i mean if you had kind of kept to the atlantean myth the way that plato had written it 
then okay, yeah, you'd be a lot better off. But then a lot of people are saying, nope, this is actual history, but Plato only said part of it. Now let's add to it based on no fact whatsoever. So that's where that's where it gets a little scary. And that's the point where you have people trying to hunt down artifacts, hunt down uh, archaeological sites and all this other stuff, trying to prove a master race Nazis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, were the ones who had somehow built this civilization, yet they got destroyed. Yeah, because they were too good. Yeah, it's, and again, internal it, it, warfare is what yeah. a lot of people were saying, and and it skews this whole utopian mindset too, right? Oh, well, they had it perfect, and they were destroyed. Yeah, and it's funny you bring that up because that brings us to Mr. Ed, Edgar Casey or Edgar Edgar Case. I don't know how to say his last name. I don't know. Let's just say Case. Case, the psychic. Yes, the psychic. <laughs> um, yeah, this guy, he was an American. He was from Kentucky. And he... Um, <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> he was from Kentucky. <laughs> I, I hate to sound like I'm ringing up a stereotype here, folks. But... <laughs> I Hey, I've got family from Kentucky. <laughs> I, know, I know. But we're talking about, you know, again, this racial know, superiority. And you bring up Kentucky. I'm just like... Mm. Yeah, yeah. Really not doing yourself any favors here. Right. So, you know, he would basically go into trances and pull things from his experiences um, in his trance-like states. And he basically said that when he was doing readings of other people trying to get their past lives, he was actually collecting a lot of information that a lot of people that he was talking to were reincarnated spirits from Atlantis many, many, many years prior. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the whole idea that there is this psychic connection with that has been played on before, too. There's the movie Hearts, or the movie and the novel Hearts in Atlantis that was written by Stephen King mm-hmm. that talks about the same idea. I don't think yeah. actually the movie, movie has anything to do with Atlantis whatsoever, but they just mention it uh, as an allegory. Right, yeah. right. And he basically said that Atlantis would rise again sometime in the 1960s. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah, and that the Hall of Records regarding everything about Atlantis from the actual city itself was all hidden under the right paw of the Egyptian Sphinx. Well, that settles it. Let's go yeah. to Egypt. Let's, let's yeah, get a dig so, going. Like, clearly we haven't dug hard enough to find that. <laughs> Just... <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. I am craving to hear Eric's thought, thought oh, on that. Oh, God. I bet Eric is rolling over in his coma right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, the funny thing is, is there are still people who believe this. Uh, there is still a whole wide array of people who think that Atlantis really exists. And, you know, I was looking at one article written by a woman who basically cited Edgar Case as a historian who studied a lot about Atlantis, but... At no point in her article did she mention that he was also a self-proclaimed psychic and was collecting information from doing life readings. But still, <laughs> yeah. Folks, I just want to make a, a, a our, our position on the supernatural known on the podcast. Eric and I have both said we are very open to mm-hmm. the idea of the supernatural, provided there is evidence to yeah. support it. And I, I'm a Catholic, so I, I have to kind of believe in the supernatural, partially. When you endorse yourself in a religion that acknowledges the existence of angels and demons, you have to kind of be open to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But this kind of stuff is just like... Uh, where's the support? Where's the support? And plus, are you the only person who's uh, feeling these things? They're, they're connecting with these spirits? If that's the case, 
you're not psychic. You might have schizophrenia at anything, if anything else. Like, unless someone could, someone else can tangibly observe what's going on, very hard to disprove yeah. that that's anything else other than mental illness. Well, I'd like to see another psychic or that does life readings come to the same conclusion as he is. That that would be what I would like completely separately not say what any of his findings were, but have that person read the same people. This could do a double blind study. Yeah. Yeah. That would maybe provide some support, maybe. But you'd have to do that a lot. I, I believe in scientific testing, but I also am completely open to the supernatural because I've had my own personal experiences that have allowed me to do that. But I don't expect anybody else to believe me. <laughs> yes. And also, if that's the case, what would be the reason for these these you know, nine, ten thousand year old people to reach out now? Yeah. Like, like, like I'm just curious. Like, we would want to know what the, the whole story is. And none of that was given. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's what, and again, it goes back to the cultural. I think I don't want to say zeitgeist because Atlantis has kind of been a, a trend that reemerges every now and again. Mm-hmm. But you know, people just find it so fascinating. There's something about there's something about that mystique. Yeah, about this highly advanced ancient civilization mm-hmm. uh, that that makes people want to come up with this kind of stuff. Right, right, and uh, there is a lot of good. I guess to be had in a certain idea of hope that these things could exist. Um, I, I not in the sense of you should use it for evil, as in trying to prove a superior race, but you know, in the idea of being able to fully explore our natural world and our natural history, then yeah, by all means, go out and seek this stuff. Yeah. I mean, hell, a lot of people didn't actually think that Troy really existed, but they were able to uncover what they think is Troy. <laughs> There you go. So there's that. And they did that in the 1870s. So it's not completely far-fetched. Okay. And that's important to bring up because that was when there was the rediscovery of ancient Greece, right? Mm-hmm. That was happening. Yeah. And we start seeing a lot of this this stuff getting written around that time yes. period, too. Yeah. So it, it would, of course, inspired interest in Atlantis mm-hmm. all over again. Yeah. But yeah. then again, there's, again, so many theories out there about where Atlantis could be now. And NBC published an article in 2011 saying that they were pretty sure that they found it off of the coast of Spain. There's a lot of hype. It's also been thought to be in Tunisia, in Sweden. The Azores for a very long time were thought to be Atlantis. Um, The only thing that Plato really says is that it's past the Pillars of Hercules, which we know that the first pillar is the Rock of Gibraltar, because it basically was talking about the Strait of of Gibraltar was what he was talking about. But there's a lot of dispute about what the other pillar of Hercules was. Right. All we know is somewhere... In the Atlantic. Case in in point, folks, let's start with the most basic. Plato makes a claim that it was 9000 BCE. Why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with finding a civilization that goes back that far and build from there? Right, right. No, take Plato's theory and then go off it, which again, we know now now know is allegorical. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of people at that time knew was allegorical. Yeah. Let's finally bring it to the 20th century mm-hmm. and what modern science has done to... Uh, oh, wait, <laughs> hang on. Before we do that, sorry, it's the rift. No, I can hear it. Yeah, you're getting to witness it first time. This is kind of amazing. Uh, seems like she's getting oh, stuck. Hold on! Hold on! Oh, my, my skirts and my bustles! Oh, oh, oh! Oh! 
Oh my god, your majesty. Hello! I'm Queen Elizabeth the First, I am. Ah, well. It, interesting, you know, that you're the you're the first Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, but... Well, there wasn't any more before me, were there? Ah, touche. Well, Mum, what brings you in today? I'm here to talk about Audible.com. It's a wonderful website where you get to listen to wonderful audiobooks, such as Billy Shakespeare and Chris Marlowe and even Stephanie Meyer. Man, she is a fantastic author. Interesting. You know about the Twilight series, where you... But who doesn't? I guess you've been using the Carters quite a bit. Uh, thank you for sharing that message. Uh, it seems like a lot of our historical figures keep talking about that. But, um, yeah, thank you. You're very, very welcome. Now, if I might have to gather up my skirts and my bustles again, I might actually be able to get out of here easily. Bye-bye! Did you have any idea she sounded like that? I had no idea. I was rendered speechless. No kidding. I really changes your perspective on history, doesn't it? It does indeed. But you know what, folks? The Virgin Queen has a point. Uh, if you go to audible.com, in fact, you go to neuronomy.com and click on the Audible link on the side of our page, uh, you can go and sign up for a free trial. Uh, and if you do, we get a small commission. And if you uh, sign up for the full subscription, we also get a small commission off of that. It's a wonderful place. Hey, if you like listening to podcasts, you probably like listening to audiobooks. So why not? Right? Yep. As we were saying, we did digress a bit, didn't we? We did. Uh, going back to the 20th century, mm -hmm. we finally start to come up with the idea of uh, continental drift, right? So just for those who may not be geologists, let's explain that. If we believe the concept that Atlantis was a continent, the missing eighth continent, yeah, this continental drift theory pretty much blows that out of the water because... What we've grown to discover is, hey, you ever notice how Africa fits into South America? Yeah. Why do you think that is? The basic idea of the supercontinent of Pangaea, there was one landmass that over millions of years began to drift apart due to tectonic plate activity, pretty much blows that out of the water because we now have a, such a strong knowledge of the tectonic plates that there's pretty much no room there's for There's no air. room for it to exist. However, there are... Um, I found an article on discovery.com and it says nine reasons why Atlantis may have been real. And they actually even cited tectonic activity as a reason why. Interesting. Yeah. What's, what's its premise? Basically, a guy named Masaki Kimura in uh, Japan, who is a marine geologist and a former professor, and he basically said that he found, uh, based on um, some research that he had been doing in the late 80s, he said that he found some underwater structures and he believes that there were the remains of roadways and sculptures and castles and even a pyramid and monuments and things like that and he contends that tectonic activity is the culprit behind the sunken city but a lot of these geologists feel like underwater discoveries are just natural formations but i think the idea is that maybe there was enough separation in tectonic plates that it was able to sink through but it's been disproven that there's just not really a whole like a whole heck of a lot of space, like we said earlier, for anything to have sunk down that low. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really, that that leaves us with the argument. Okay, so if it wasn't a continent that sank into the sea, um, then what the, else could it have been? Right? What else could it have been? Was it an island? Just a small island in that case? Or? Right. Right. So again, size has been disputed. 
We do have to remember he was talking about Libya and Asia Minor, so not as big as people were originally trying to make it out to be. But there's also the idea that it could have existed um, and the sea levels rose above it. And that's just kind of the idea that, you know, 9,000 years before Plato's time, it was on the heels of the Pleistocene era, also known as the Ice Age, and the then there was the Holocene era right after that, which showed a mark in global temperatures. So the idea is that when the Holocene era started, it actually melted all of the ice sheets and glaciers and things that had formed during the Pleistocene era, and the sea levels rose and sunk Atlantis at that point, or ah, covered it. Gotcha. So that's one theory. So thermal expansion. Yes. Yes, of the oceans. Gotcha. That seems like a pretty pretty logical way of explaining it. But, I mean, again, it goes back to believing that this place may have actually existed. Right. Well, we will never know. The other thing, too, being that, don't forget that Plato said that Atlantis was destroyed in, like, one day and one night. Sea levels rising like that, probably not happening in one no, day and one night. No, it would have had to be like a tsunami <laughs> or something yeah. for to take it out. Yeah. And we'll also keep in mind, again, we will never know if Plato was ref- trying to be referential. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not. I mean, we, we have every reason to think that it was speculation, like we said, or that it was, it was an, fiction. An, it was fiction. But again, we just, we'll never know unless mm-hmm. we can somehow talk to Plato, and that's yeah. not going to happen. It could have been highly inspired fiction. I did want to say, though, that I just, I realized I misspoke earlier mm-hmm. when we were talking about the Minoan civilization. I said it was, I didn't mention that it was an eruption of a volcano yeah. that caused it to be destroyed. I think I said it was for something else, but natural disasters nonetheless. So Yeah, natural disasters, but took it out. I mean, I think what what we were talking about before we did the episode, and really the the more heart of what's going on here, is if you want to search for a lost civilization, awesome. Even want to search for a lost civilization that's underwater, even better. Marine archaeology sounds like a fascinating field to go into. And there's so much of the ocean that we have not discovered yet. So if if any of you are feeling inspired for a career change, <laughs> or if you are a student who is looking to start a career, if you want to go be a marine geologist, or if you want to just go out and be a, a deep sea diver or whatever, oh my god, more power to you because there is so much out there that needs to be found. Just don't go out there specifically thinking that you are looking for Atlantis because you are going to find stuff that will lead you to think that it's Atlantis when it's probably not. Unless you happen to find an underwater ruin that happens to have ancient Greek on it and the ancient Greek words translate to this was Atlantis. Yeah. Um, or something something like <laughs> you are you, you are not going to find Atlantis unless you find the Atlantis directory that says you are he- here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not going to Atlantis end. established nine thousand BC. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they would actually say BCE too. <laughs> not that they weren't advanced enough to have their own calendar system that was you know thinking ahead, <laughs> but still. <laughs> exactly. I mean. I don't want to, you know, but there's a term for it. I forgot what the term is, but it's where somebody who's an anthropologist or you're looking at anthropological things and you think that these things are not possible because that civilization was not, civilization was not advanced enough to do that. Like thinking that the ancient Egyptians were not able to build pyramids because they were just not advanced. That's enough just to do. offensive. Is it is it offensive, is. but there, there. I forgot what the term is, but there's a specific term for that. So, I mean, you don't want to go into it with that and <laughs> think that they're not advanced enough to have some stuff. But it does seem highly unlikely that they would say 9,000 BCE. But still, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And you know, one thing we, I'd like to wrap up on is again, mm-hmm. th- this is something that will continue to fascinate us. We started off with mentioning Disney's 
Atlantis' lost empire. Right. Uh, there's now a resort in the Caribbean that is uh, devoted to mm-hmm. an Atlantean theme yeah. to it. And it, it is, it, that is Atlantis. Hey, you want to go to Atlantis? Go to that place. Right. Because it probably looks way better than Atlantis actually could have looked. I'm sure. I'm sure. So anything with a, a Greek classical theme that also happens to have a lot of aquariums. And they serve daiquiris for some reason. So well, why not? <laughs> I mean, I would think that the ancient Greeks had daiquiris. But that's it's true. The Greeks my... actually discovered rum before, oh, there before we, go. we were making it. So there you Fantastic. go. Fantastic. There you go. <laughs> Total nonsense. I just... Um, Nerds on history. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, let's also talk about the pop culture uh, influence, mm-hmm. too, right? Yes, we talked about, about Disney. We've also talked... I mean, how about comic books, right? Well, definitely. Well, before we do comic books, literature. uh, Arthur Conan Doyle has written about Atlantis. Um, Obviously, uh, Moore's Utopia, we talked about that. H.P. Lovecraft has written about Atlantis. A lot of people have used that as inspiration for other things. I mean, you know, there's uh, Journey to the Sun of the Earth (laughs) is kind of the idea of... In a way, uh, it is very Atlantean. It is very Atlantean. So there's a lot of inspiration found in tons of sci-fi. Yeah. You cannot get away from it. Um, And sci-fi in itself leads to comic books. Right. And, of course, in that we have uh, (laughs) two very different perceptions of the same character. Mm -hmm. One who is kind of praised and one who's kind of not so much. Yeah. So first you have Marvel Comics and you have the Submariner. Debuted 1941. The whole idea of the Atlantis survived. It survived. It sank. But then the people inside, they became mer people. Yes, they adapted. Much they like adapted. Kevin Costner in Waterworld. <laughs> exactly. That they became mer people. And then, uh, but they're still somewhat kind of human. So it just, they happen to have blue or green skin. Um, and then, <laughs> and they look like fish. But yes. that's okay. But it's fine. It's fine. So. You know, this woman mates with this man, and they make Namor, this half-breed, human half-breed Atlantean, and he becomes the king of Atlantis. He's raised by the Atlanteans, and then he comes back to the world and becomes a superhero. <laughs> right. Right. Where, and then you have DC's uh, heavily borrowed copy, Aquaman, the kind of the inverted story, right? You have still have the Atlantean uh, myth, though they described it very interesting. They had a dome that they had built to prevent themselves from drowning. Mm-hmm. from the sinking uh, but then the dome started to leak and very slowly over thousands of years they evolved the ability to breathe in the water yeah yeah that seems plausible yeah <laughs> uh, so again this mer princess comes and meets a little fish a local fisherman and they get married and they have a uh, they copulate. They copulate. They have a one that one she summer. lays a bunch of eggs because that's <laughs> apparently how that works <laughs> and he she gives birth <laughs> she gives birth to young Arthur Curry <laughs> who then uh, is raised by his father. The mother dies mm-hmm. because she can't be away from the from water. But the fisherman raises young Arthur to be close to the sea. And Arthur has always been around the water. And then he eventually discovers that he is, in fact, Atlantean. Mm-hmm. So then he goes back down to Atlantis and becomes the king of Atlantis and becomes Aquaman. Uh, oh, basically. Aquaman. And Aquaman is so laughed at amongst all the DC superheroes, but he's actually... The current Aquaman is actually a pretty awesome character. Like, he's got super strength. He can swim faster than Superman can. Mm. He's fully kind of aware that his costume looks a little ridiculous, but it's also Atlantean in nature, so of course it's going to be different than what human That's beings traditional. expected. Yeah. Uh, the fact that his scales are bulletproof now, the, little, the scales okay. that are on his thing, so they're, they're actually plate armor, basically. Okay. And that his trident can, like, poke through the engines of, of cars and things okay, like that. Okay, so they're making it a little bit cooler, but yeah. still the idea that... <sighs> 
you know, he can't be away from water for too long, which kind of puts him at a disadvantage of... Well, that's his weakness. Every yeah. superhero has to have a weakness. I know, yeah. but... Well, I mean, for the longest time, it was really hard for people to get kryptonite until they realized that Superman was too hard to kill. So then, all of a sudden, everybody had kryptonite. Like, right. it was apparently available in Walmart, but... <laughs> It's true. Uh, they were having it on sale, actually. Yes. By, by LexCorp. Um, here, do you want your kryptonite? Pocket kryptonite. 99 right, cents. Right, right. I mean, so Pretty I guess, safe. yes, okay, most of the planet is made up of water, so, you know, go Aquaman. You've got that. But then yeah. also, you know, communicate with fish. The, tele- the telepathic connection with animals is what most people like to make fun of yeah. the most. Namor doesn't have that. Namor had um, super strength, but he also can fly because... Because of it being him being uh, a mutation, basically, mm-hmm. between human and Atlantean, he has wings for feet. Yes. So I think that had either had to do with he that. He has wings on his feet. Yeah. And I think that might have to do that his Earth parent was a geneticist. Okay. So he, like, fudged Interesting. With, with his son. That's weird. <laughs> fudged with his son's genes. Kinda, but, I mean, weird. but there's a whole, like, pantheon going on down there because there's Namorita, who was his cousin, and she's got her husband. Like, they're all, like... They're all sort of kind of Atlantean superheroes. Oh, yeah, superheroes. but so does, so does Aquaman. Aquaman yeah. has a son, and he's got his wife, Mira, who has these all powers. And then, of course, there's Aqualad, who we don't talk about very much anymore. He, <laughs> Is they, there something even cheesier than Aquaman? <laughs> yeah, he's a sidekick. Every superhero had a sidekick, right? Mm-hmm. Aqualad was renamed. He still exists. Just they gave him his real name, which is just, I think it's Garth, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah, but he's actually pretty powerful. Like, he, okay. his... his um, his superhero name is Tempest because he actually oh, can okay. create sea storms. That's kind of rad. Yeah, that's pretty sweet, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's he's not as lame as we like to They're think. They're like Aqualad. He's not cool enough. Let's make him more like Storm. <laughs> like Aquaman, thank Play-Doh. There we go. <laughs> there you go. That's what we're trying to say here, folks. Yep. <laughs> that's what it boils down to. <laughs> if anything, the myth of Atlantis gave us Aquaman. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome, pop culture. <laughs> The myth of Atlantis equals Aquaman. You're welcome. Folks, we'd love to hear what your favorite legend about Atlantis is, or maybe the favorite work that's been inspired by the story of Atlantis. Mm -hmm. So let's continue this conversation. You can go to our social media uh, on both our Facebook and our Twitter page at Nerdonomy. You know, we'd love to hear what you have to say to us personally. We can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Brian Moriarty. I'm at Sarah Ash 16. Finally, if you have it in your hearts and your wallets, please... Go to nerdonomy.com. You can help us out uh, by either using one of our affiliates or giving us a small donation from our donate button at the top. Sarah, mm-hmm. thank you for filling in. Much appreciated. No, thanks and for having me here. We've had lots of fun mystery guests this whole month. We haven't advertised who's the next one. And we're kind of out of Nerdonomy co-hosts, so mm. it be very interesting. Who will be my next who-who? Uh, until next time, stay nerdy and tune in to us next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. Huh. Strangling? It's suffocating. Ah. I'm just saying, I like, I like it when they're close to me. That's, um disturbing beyond words but um nevertheless to each their own brian to each their own uh-huh so nevertheless that seems that there's no way you could have shot eric no no and honestly my brother keeps his guns locked up and i don't have a key to that so couldn't have been me hmm. so who do you think it was i have no idea do you think it was one of his cats i don't think they have powerful enough thumbs hmm
Sophie?